0: And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week they host different events all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the fab foe Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Hey everybody, this is the Helping Friendly podcast. This is a quick hit of the last two nights of the Madison Square Garden run. Um the first quick hit of 2019, talking about the last shows of 2018. It's really confusing, but um here with Matt, one of our co-hosts. Hi Matt. Hey man, how's it going? Good. And we have a guest, Dan, who's here who I, I think is a listener. Um Dan, we appreciate your support and, and reaching out and and glad you were able to join us here.
1: I am a listener, thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you guys.
0: And Dan, you got to see all four nights. Um and you're probably pretty exhausted at this point but 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 full of yeah. love for fish
1: I, I am and i'm feeling like exactly the way you would expect after a Fortnite fish run which is starting to get sick uh and uh like my serotonin levels are significantly depleted but uh <laughs> no it was, it was a great time
0: and um we're going to talk a little bit about the the 30th and 31st um, hopefully people saw we did a couch report at relics on the 29th um with uh tom and the dude of life and mike greenhouse from Relics. so we'll put a link to that video in the notes if you guys haven't seen it it was really fun tom and the dude uh, played an original song that they wrote for trey which is pretty entertaining and um we talked about the 28th and, and 29th on the last episode so we can focus on the 30th here that was the last night of the run that i saw um to me i'll just throw this out there the the, the first set felt like a um pretty crazy second set <laughs> in a lot of ways i don't know um matt if you want to start and then we can throw it over to dan
2: Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I know. Uh, so I, I only saw the 30th and 31st um, and was hoping that the momentum that they had going from that that amazing show on the 29th was going to carry through uh, to uh, to Sunday night's show. And it definitely did. Um, I, I think I ran in, I guess that was the set break when I saw you uh, in the hallway. And I, yeah. I think between the two of us, we could barely formulate a complete sentence about how amazing it was. Um, I think if you, it's one of those things where like, if you could take like the the second set of the night before and the first set of this one it's like the perfect show um two really amazing sets and i uh, i had such a good time during that set if i had if, if the show had been over at that point i would have felt completely satisfied i mean there's it really felt like there was not much more that they could do um after uh, after what what you would accurately is a as a pretty killer second set played uh, too early in the night
0: yeah, Dan, did you feel the same way about the thirtieth? And what were some of your highlights from the first, first set? I can,
1: com- yeah. I mean, I completely agree, especially coming off the twenty ninth, which I thought was was probably ended up being the best show of the run, in my opinion. Although it's close to the thirtieth, but the the first set was just it was just relentless, and it was just it was just really fun throughout. Um, you know, going into a show, I feel like this is exactly the sort of thing that that you want to see, like you know, unexpected opener, and then you know, just the mics and that. You know, second, third spot right there um, just, you know, really, I think, matched the intensity of the crowd. Uh, and it was it was just relentless, too. I mean, to go from week of paw to cross-eyed and painless, uh, you know, 45 minutes or maybe not even into the show is just – that's about as good as, as it gets in terms of starting out.
0: Yeah, that – Um, I was going to ask you, Matt, about the, the week of paw. When they went back into it from tube, I was sitting behind the stage and I didn't see any – signals or anything it felt like they were just good they just went back into it just kind of feeling it is that is that accurate yeah, it seemed pretty organic
2: um, and I think it continued the trend that we've had since the fall of really, really great versions of Tube that finally have started to get out there a little bit. Um, they were definitely doing some pretty good jamming and got into that Hog that groove pretty naturally. Um, I thought even better was actually the transition back into Tube because um, it felt like they were sort of coming to like the natural ending of Hog and mm. uh, got it pretty seamlessly back into into Tube. Um, but that, it's amazing like when you look at this set, um, I mean, the fact that they open up with alumni blues almost gets skipped over in favor of like all of the other amazing things that Happened during the set, of course, when you've got you know a song that's played for the second time only ever 23 years after its debut in Glide 2, and then Bliss, which, like, I i don't know about you guys, I always forget that they had never even played that live before, yeah. Um, so I mean, it was the whole thing by that point. I mean, even before the tube in Week Sand, which Sandwich, um, you know, it felt like they could do no wrong by that point. And 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 I have to echo what you guys said is like the energy of the crowd, um from the start of the show and through that entire first set was just off the charts.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. My wife, um, I was trying to explain to her why it was a big deal that they played Clyde Two, And she was like, the song's kind of slow and boring, but like everyone was going nuts. And I'm like, well, it's just for like statistical purposes. And she's like, wow, this is weird. But but it was, <laughs> 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 that's how it goes, right? Um, Dan, what, what were your second set highlights, your thoughts on the second set of, of 1230?
1: Uh, so I thought the second set uh, was was actually really an, an interesting interesting set the way they put it together. I mean, obviously we had the the first or the second Cool Amber and Mercury, um, but I, I really enjoyed Everything's Right. Um, sort of the end of that jam was was really really good, um, and you know the Plasma was also a treat too, um, something you don't get too often. And I thought it was it was really well played. And then you know Light was. Was really really significant to me. I mean, it it peaked twice, once in like the first ten minutes, and then again at the end. And uh, obviously, Velvet Sea is going to be a, a divisive song choice, pretty much at any time. But I actually thought that the 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 segue into it, the transition, was actually really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a good breather in that in that moment. And then the the split open and melt really continued that trend of like these. Just these dark and evil, almost noisy jams that they've that they've continued. I, I was at the one in Hampton too, and uh, yeah, yeah. to be honest, it's taken me a little while to get used to this this new kind of split open and melt. But it's uh, it's certainly interesting, and it's really cool to see them push a song like that, you know, an older song uh, to these to these new levels.
0: And Matt, I want to get your take on this set because we—I rarely like text with with friends during a set, but I, I was texting with you during this. But I do want to say first, when they went into waiting, that um, I had to ask the people behind us to be quiet like two different times, and they were really um, just—they were really annoyed with the song choice. It's one of—it's like one of my favorite Fish ballads, so I was happy to hear it, but they—they they did not like being asked to be quiet multiple times. Um, but you know, that's what we have to do as fans. Matt, what what did you think of that? I guess the the light jammer or anything else from the second set?
2: Yeah, it seemed like this was the space set. Um, like the night before, maybe it was it was kind of dark and funky. The first set here was sort of the rarities and jam sandwiches. Um, and then the second set uh, on the 30th was very, very, very spaced out. I, I, there was at least four or five different times throughout the set where I legitimately lost track of what song they were playing. Mm-hmm. I just could not, <laughs> could not figure it out, including the split open and melt. It got to a place where it just like almost just went into nothingness. Um, and then just like they managed to bring it back to, uh, to split open and melt. Um, I think if people are dinging this set for anything, it's probably for the waiting in the velvet scene that in the fact that because it got so spacey, it was a little bit less energetic than some of the other sets. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I didn't mind. I like it when they go there. Um, I was also feeling some of the fall vibes, particularly that that first night of Hampton where things got really spacey a lot. Um, And I like if they're going to do something for a graceful landing out of some of that more psychedelic stuff, I think Waiting in the Velvet Sea is a really good choice. For it, I always think back to um, like the version from the Paradiso uh, in the Wormtown set. Yeah, how, like things just get so weird, and then it just very delicately lands with this amazingly beautiful ballad. Um, and that would have been cool. And I could understand at that point if if they had ended there uh, with people being a little upset with with the end of the set, but then to play that amazing split open and meld afterwards, I thought was uh, a really really nice uh, cherry on top. And then we got a, a super long encore, um, four song encore, which was which was pretty fun too
0: yeah that that encore was it was i was wondering what was going to happen there but they just yeah four four songs um without like not a combo that you see very very frequently but that's how it goes um so you guys were both there on on the 31st um and i i was intending to be asleep before the start of the first sex i was back home but um you guys were obviously there and it seemed like the first set was sort of a a little bit of a letdown, maybe, but, but it may be actually kind of standard for, for a New Year's Eve show when there's so much anticipation and, and music to come. Dan, what was your take on that first set?
1: Yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. I mean, I know, you know, I think a, a prevailing 3.0 attitude is so, sort of try to go in with no expectations uh, and just sort of enjoy it. And I feel like that's that's what I try to do as much as possible. But, you know, that said, it was New Year's Eve. Madison Square Garden, you know, it was the, probably the two two of the better shows of the entire year on the 29th and 30th. So, I had some some expectations, obviously, and I this was the sort of I would expect this set one like on the 28th, you know, to maybe open the run where they're, they're trying to to sort of uh, find their footing and everything. But uh, yeah, the, this was kind of an unmemorable set uh, entirely. Um yeah, obviously waste was was fun, and Trey swapped out guitars for that. and uh, Antelope is always a you know a fun set closer, but uh, i was I was definitely hoping for a little bit more.
2: Matt, what about you? yeah I, it's it's I was just thinking and realizing that um, I haven't listened to a note of either of these shows since they happened, um, just in the travel back and work and everything today i I, I haven't managed to fire them up. Um, so i was I was reading through the set list and and kind of. Almost going like, oh wow! I forgot that they played half of these songs, um, which I guess isn't a good sign for the set. Um, but it, I. I, I for better or for worse, I think we've all sort of been conditioned to go into the 31st thinking that overall it may not be like the most amazing show, um, and you can, you kind of have to zero in on the gag because that's pretty much where the band's heads are. Um, they're thinking about that all night, and even if they start to get you know make really good momentum going like they did in the next set with the disease or anything like that or the seven below. Um, it quickly comes back to this thing that's looming above them. Um, I will say, like, I thought, you know, set one was fun as usual. Um, It was cool that we got a couple more of the uh, Caswell Voxed songs. I I love Stray Dogs, so I was pretty stoked to hear that. Um, The other thing that I noticed was they always seem to love playing Lawn Boy whenever there's um, a New Year's gag that makes the stage bigger. Um, I don't know if you could tell from the where cer where you people were sitting, particularly down lower, if you could tell from the webcast, but there was a whole like front extension onto the stage where the uh the people would come out later to go up onto the nets um, and Paige and Mike were just sort of it was like teasing them like they wanted to get out into this front part and take better advantage of being able to walk further and, and interact with the crowd mm-hmm. and I remember them do- doing them on doing that on some other years um, like the meat stick and stuff where they had they wound up with a bigger stage that night um, but yeah I mean it was it was pretty much what I think you expect from a set one in the 31st you know like Good, pretty good song selection, but um, I'm just building a lot of momentum for what's to come. Um, I, the only other thing is, I think it was a pretty long set as far as New Year's set ones. Uh, tend to go it was mm-hmm. close to nine close to 90 minutes which is a little bit longer than they have tended to do but um i, I think you know for new year's eve as long as it's a fun show uh and, and, it, and there's a new good new year's gag i'm i'm in for that
0: yeah totally and the second set you mentioned the, the down with disease and the seven below i thought were both really really good good solid surprisingly good jams um dan did you did you have any particular highlights from that set before we get into the third
1: yeah so i thought i thought mike gordon was just i think he really took a lead in that in that set and he was he was great in the the down disease jam um and he was he was really good in in seven below too there was a moment toward like the end of seven below where he just sort of took over um like almost from trey like playing like lead bass i guess for mm-hmm. lack of a better way to to explain it and that was and that was really really uh exciting there was obviously that some stop, start and some, some woos in there, I think. And, uh, you know, I know that can, uh, I can have mixed, uh, responses and stuff, but the, the seven below jam, uh, I, I thought overall was, was really solid. Um, and you know, the, the twist was, I guess, fitting for the, for the woo theme. Um, I was, I gotta say with regard to Harry hood and the passing through Harry hood sort of sandwich, I think that, you know, as successful as the tweezer, um death don't hurt very long tweezer sandwich was the night before uh this was not successful in my, in my opinion um but uh you know i mean like it's it's hard to argue with the hood but like putting passing through in the middle of that it just it just didn't really make much sense much sense and they sort of had to start hood up from like nothing sort of at the end there and uh hood was going to some really interesting places before they before they brought it in the passing through so that was that was a bit disappointing but uh, that that wasn't my favorite my favorite sandwich i guess
0: yeah i i don't want people to fuck with my hoods either but i don't
1: yeah <laughs> <know. laughs> you know
2: i it's funny cuz I I, I I said a second ago i haven't re listened to any of this and you get those experiences at shows and, and definitely my my overall experience with this whole show was probably um of this type where like you have a really good time and maybe even a lot of people you're talking to at the show or right after the show um you know your friends or whatever everybody's got really really positive things to say and then of course the second that you fire up the internet people are Telling you that all of the things (laughs) that you thought were amazing were actually terrible, including this show, because there was a lot of I had a lot of discussions with people that night after the show. People were like, man, I felt like this was one of the strongest New Year's shows in a really long time. Like overall, like they kept the energy up and the gag was great and everything. And then got on the Internet. And of course, people were saying pretty nasty things about it. Um, (laughs) But uh, this Harry Hood segment was one of them. I actually like. I felt like it was really, really good when I saw it, and then afterwards, everybody was like, "No, it was so botched." And I, I was like, "I must have just been a little bit too lost in my own thoughts during that." Because um, I th- I remember it being pretty cool. So I'll have to go back to the tapes later and uh, learn how I was uh, mistaken and and how everybody else was right about that.
0: Yeah, that's, that's a good point, and that that's always the like that's always the challenge, right? It's like the shows you go to and the shows you listen to later. But I think this is. Well once we get to the gag, I mean this is a this is a pretty solid overall show. Um, Dan, what what was your take on the gag and, and how that all came together?
1: Uh, you know, I, I absolutely love the gag. Um, you know, leading up to it, there was some uh I guess foreshadowing set break music they were doing. I heard some Daft Punk, they did uh Beastie Boys Intergalactic, and uh, you know, I think unlike other years it was at least somewhat obvious what was coming. I mean, I think everyone was excited for Santos, and, you know, Mercury sort of had a, a breakout year, and so I, I think that, you know, this was like a little bit more predictable than, than once in the past. Um, unfortunately, I was kind of like the victim of my seat, I, and, I, and this is, this is going to sound kind of crazy, because we had great seats. I was in Section 104, which was obviously in the 100 level. It's kind of like uh, the opposite side of the arena from where the stage is, mm-hmm. kind of where it begins to bend. Um, but it was it was you know you're far enough away where I couldn't tell from my seat that Trey was on the the white Stratocaster and Trey and Mike were wearing these like silvery outfits and it was just kind of like a silver image, uh, the outline. So I couldn't see that he was on the the white Stratocaster for Mercury, but the Mercury was it was it was really good and that was just a really great placement for the song and you know the acrobats and the dancers and the whole nets are unbreakable thing was it was just just really really cool. And uh, you know, after Alden Zine, you know, you you could hear Santos coming, and uh, you know that was that was really exciting, um, especially. Um, sorry about that. Especially because um, you know, with with all the streamers and the balloons and everything, it was it got even harder to see the stage because you know there were those like essentially like the entire height of the of the garden those silver streamers that were that were hanging from the the top of the arena. And so, like, I couldn't really see, and it wasn't until after the show, until that we even realized that, you know, Trey and, and Mike um, were were sort of flying through through space <laughs> during Santos.
0: Yeah, that that was pretty cool to watch. I watched back the next morning, um, Matt. What, what's your take?
2: Well, so I was gonna. I guess I don't. Did you watch the webcast at all uh, while it was happening, RJ?
0: I didn't. I watched everything the next morning. Okay. Or, so or sorry, I did watch the first set. I didn't see the second and third till the next day.
2: So yeah, because I know they just dropped the video a little while ago, so um, most of us probably haven't had a chance to, to rewatch. And I was wondering how it translated to the um, to the video for because for some of the same reasons that Dan was just saying, um, I, I was in 104 on the 30th, so I know exactly the perspective you're coming from. I was closer to the stage, but up in the 200s the next night on, on New Year's Eve, so we had a different vantage point. I also could not see that they were wearing the silver suits or anything because. For most of Mercury, Curta had the lighting rig down, like right over the band. So we actually couldn't really see the band. Um, they were kind of um, obscured mm, by the lights. Mm-hmm. But it looked really cool. He did this thing where it's that effect everybody's seen throughout this whole year where the, the lights were hovering right over the band. But instead of pointing them down at the band, he pointed them up. So it looked like there was like a UFO hovering above them, um, which was really neat. But then when those streamers came down, we said the same thing. Like we had this viewpoint where we could. Like, because of the way that they were kind of, the, if you can picture the ceiling of Madison Square Garden, like they came down through like the cracks in those wet, in like the wedge pieces. And so we could see straight through two of the sets of streamers to the stage. But I kept thinking, like, man, if we were sitting where we were last night, I wonder if we'd be able to see the stage at all or if it would mm. just be like a wall of silver. And a lot of them, maybe like 50% of them came down. People pulled on them and they came down. But the ones that didn't, that stayed up there for the rest of the set looked amazing because when the light bounced off them, it just looked like there was these sort of dots floating in the air um, that were really cool. Um, as far as the, you know, the, the, the gag itself, I agree. I think you know pretty much most people expected Santos to be played before or after midnight, um, which was a great payoff and, and Mercury as has become such a fan favorite that I thought that was um, a really good choice too. the um, I'm, I'm the type of person that really gets into some of the more elaborate gags that they do. Like for context, I loved the Petrichor thing. Um, You know, I don't want to see them do that all the time, but once a year, if you're going to put on a huge production, I think that's to have the dancing and the flying props and the lights coordinated and everything is really neat. Um, I think this year's, was a little bit better compromise for people who like some interesting things going on but are not so much into the more Broadway-style stuff that they've done occasionally. Um, yeah. Although I, I do think it's funny that this was a year where they had people flying and people seemed to really, really like it, but the year that they did the same thing with Steam, everybody hated it. Uh, but um, I guess you got to fly to the right song.
0: <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but
2: um, no, so it was... I, 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 people that I talked to after the show who had not liked Petracorn and some of the other more elaborate ones really liked this. Um, I think understated was a, her, a, a term I heard several times. Uh, it was a little bit more simple, straightforward, and, and a lot more fun. And then I think that, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, like, the, the general sentiment seemed to be that while they've whiffed it after the gag in set threes in recent years, this was actually a very very strong set um after the santos like no i I, I guess the the simple after the santos no major jams or anything like that but good song selection really high level of energy um and uh you know nothing that that kind of took the audience out of it so it seemed like they they closed things out pretty pretty strong
0: yeah dan what was your take on that third set because i i haven't actually listened past the the simple, um, just because it looked like it was like, you know, a six-minute Susie and a seven-minute whatever and whatever. I, I just haven't gone back to it. But it, I'm glad to hear you say that, Matt, that you think it was a strong sort of finish. Um, Dan, did you get the same impression?
1: Yeah, I really did. And just to, to get back to Santos for one quick second, I mean, I think with all the Casvat boxed uh, songs, most people, most people like, uh, you know, at least a few of the songs. It seems like Santos is the one that people like the most I mean, i did the four night run with a friend of mine uh named ian and he was sort of indifferent don casbot fox and you know sort of didn't know what to expect and then i looked over you know during santos and he was dancing as hard and singing along you know as anybody in the place and i think it converted you know the even any naysayer about that just because yeah you know that sort of moment in that release and i thought that simple and saw it again especially uh, to, to answer your question about what you're saying, really, you know, we great choices. Uh, like just to to continue that sort of high energy pace, and I, I completely agree uh, with what you guys were saying too. That the, the end of this set and the song selection, yeah, there wasn't any any big jams in there, but I, I couldn't have asked for uh, you know five better songs and simple saw it again, limb by limb, rock and roll, and Susie uh, to end that set. I, I really loved that third set, and I really did love the gag.
0: So Dan, uh, thanks for for being a guest on this. After doing the Fortnite run, besides um, being exhausted, what um what are you like a takeaway a takeaway or two from you on on this run and maybe wrapping up fish in twenty eighteen?
1: You know, I got to say I was really pleased with the run overall. Um, I did. I think it ended up being twelve shows this year. I did uh, five of the summer shows on the East Coast. Um, I really thought Hampton was was sort of a, a step above. Um, what I saw over the summer. And I just thought, I thought the 29th and the 30th were as good as anything that I had heard um, this year. I, I really loved that tweezer uh, on the 29th. I just thought that was, that was so, it was yeah. kind of unexpected in that spot. And it was just, it was just so, so good. And, and the 30th, I thought, uh, continuing with some of those themes and, you know, the bust outs and everything it was just, it was just a really, really fun run. And, and those were the 29th and 30th. And the gag were just, were really special.
0: Awesome. That's great to, to hear. Matt, what's your take? And, and I don't want to put you on the spot, Matt, but do you think that this, uh, as we wrap up 2018, that the the kind of curveball fiasco is behind us and, and that this run and and everything that happened in the fall was a little bit of a compensation for it? Or how do you think that balances out?
2: Yeah, you know, that that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. I mean, we've come back to it a couple times on the show, but mm-hmm. um, I think it always helps to have patience and to trust in the long game uh, when we're talking about all things fish and people in the the aftermath of uh, just a weird summer overall when I, I was just thinking about it it wasn't just curveball it was it was curveball it was the thing that happened at the gorge with those guys getting attacked it was um, just kind of mediocre playing uh, at a lot of the shows in the in the summer people were very reactionary and wanted some sort of payback from the band they wanted to they wanted them to make it up immediately and people were asking for big things for them and I think instead what they did is they just they did what they did best I mean throughout the fall and through this New year's run they delivered um, amazing shows with songs that people wanted to hear tons of bust outs I think I I think this is one of the for the last like three or four months, this has been one of the periods of following this band where I, I think they're directly reacting to like what the fans want, uh, in terms of big bust outs that they never thought would play, jamming tube, um, you know, more jams in the first sets of shows. Um, and then and then when they saw the reaction to to the Castle Vox set, kinda of doubling down on that. Um, I made a, a comment to my wife when I was walking away from the show the other day that I was really grateful that people that weren't in Vegas got to experience some of that um, with with the gag uh, and, you know, kind of a little bit of a of a of Box reprise um, with playing all the songs, but then peaking in, in Santos at midnight. So I think they really, really followed through. I mean, if you want to use a sports analogy, this is like the equivalent of your team just – really sucking up until the all-star break and then following through and winning the world series. (laughs) So, um, I think that they, they did a really, really great job. I also had this thought, you know, at the show the other night, um, I was getting a little sentimental because, uh, we took my brother-in-law, Dan, um, who I've mentioned on the show before. Hi, I say hi to uncle Dan. Yeah. Um, he, uh, we took him to his first show at the Garden, uh, and I think we saw when we saw you uh, the other night, RJ. And to be able to look at his face and see the the, the look on his face, um, especially during that first set on the thirtieth, which was his first set of fish or first set of anything ever inside the Garden, was just really amazing. And it, it reminds you of of why we do all this. Um, but I, as I was kind of taking that in, I had this thought. That, you know, Trey in particular is this guy who, who looks up to all these, you know, legendary world famous composers and people who have done things in music that are celebrated over the matter of centuries and stuff like that. And thinking about them playing in that building so much and it's like for a guy who, you know, studied classical composition all this stuff but was also you know a student of Jimi hendrix and jimmy page and eric clapton all these people as rock stars to be able to essentially present his work in this great rock hall madison square garden over and over again um i hope it's something that you know decades and and maybe even a century from now people are looking back on and, and realizing um the, the home card advantage that these guys have playing there and um, how much what a joy it is for everybody to really experience that and um, I think it's it's particularly ever since the Baker's dozen when we all get together there there's there's just this big hug that happens um, that you know we we know that, that the band's gonna do great the people working there love us, we love being there um, and it's it's really something special so um, if you if you have gotten a little bit jaded by all that, I recommend taking. Uh, somebody you know to to their first show there and you can sort of relive the whole thing through their eyes
0: yeah that's that's awesome man i like how you put that that's it's interesting i just want to add one thing i I was actually getting a little bit emotional during the first set of twelve thirty. also maybe it was the air in the room Um, but i was thinking about how how infrequently i step back and think about how much the band has Contributed to like my life and my friendships and all kinds of other stuff, you know, over the past 25 years or so. And at that moment, for some reason, during Mike's song, I was thinking about it and thinking about all the other almost 20,000 people in there who had similar experiences. And I think there is something different about that venue and i was thinking back to previous msg shows that i'd been to and the people i'd been with and all that and that i think maybe the venue itself also just kind of makes people all of us as a community feel closer like you said matt so that's cool man what an awesome way to to close it out so thanks for for sharing that um dan thanks for for joining us and for sharing your perspective and um you know for supporting us and all that so thank thank you
1: thank you guys for having me this was fun
0: cool and thanks matt and we'll be back in a, a couple weeks i think with uh, our first episode of, of 2019 yeah fish may take a break
2: in the first half of the year but we will not be we'll, we'll keep it going strong we've got some cool stuff coming up
0: yeah absolutely so thanks everybody for listening um and and for all your support and let's have an awesome 2019 together keep on rocking what
1: is a city without its music